0: hello everybody welcome to episode 177 of the roadie on the horn podcast my name as always is donovan i'm here with my co-host my good friend uh just getting ready for for a long a long harsh trip rk how are we doing how are you feeling
1: yeah i'm doing good donnie thanksgiving week And uh, I'll be on the road this year uh, with the uh, Colgate hockey team. Should be a fun week for us uh, with a lot going on, but should be fun. Nevertheless, it was a fun weekend uh, in sports at an awesome Eagles game that we'll get into. So I'm doing really good. I'm fired up, excited for 177 of the Roth pod today.
0: Absolutely. And RK, this is a momentous occasion because this may be the last time of the season that both the Giants and Eagles win on the same week during the same weekend I mean obviously the Eagles won on Monday but uh, we'll start off with the New York Giants Uh, Tommy DeVito after having two really horrible horrible starts against Las Vegas and Dallas goes out against the Washington Commanders the Giants if they own anybody in the NFL it's the Washington Commanders seem to play them pretty well every year whether it's stupid ties or um, random wins against in games they probably didn't deserve to win uh, this one, I would say, is a game that they sort of kind of deserve to win. The defense was immaculate, all things considered. Uh, only 19 points given up. Washington had the ball all day. Sam Howell threw 50 times. Uh, they handed the ball off another 30 times. This was definitely a uh, we're going to have no possession type of game, but just needed a defense to step up and make plays. And they did turn the ball over five times, which is good. Sam Howell, who has kind of grown I mean obviously he's I think you'd consider him a rookie still in Sam Howell's shoes. Uh, it throws a lot of picks, a lot of a lot of interceptions, a lot of turnovers, uh, from the commander's quarterback there, which is a little bit of an issue for them, but um work in progress clearly. Uh the Giants win thirty one nineteen. Um I, I guess I'll just call out big game Saquon Barkley. Uh nice to see him out there doing everything pretty much. Um I guess I would have anticipated more than like 15 carries, uh, but he was very active in the passing game, which is exactly what they should be doing every week, regardless of who the quarterback is. Uh, So it's a little surprising to see them take this long to get Saquon Barkley that active in the passing game. Uh, Also had a really nice game out of Darius Slayton on the offensive end, uh, which is something that we haven't said all year because nobody's thrown the ball to anybody. So having a receiver do something in in a football game, RK, let me tell you, you see it every week with the Eagles. I don't. Uh, with the Giants. It's a it's a nice, nice feeling to have a, a receiver actually do something. 482 in a tutty for the man that myth a legend, Darius Slayton. Um, any takeaways from this? Like does it even matter? Is it just a stupid game? Like what happened?
1: Yeah, I think all the takeaways belong to the Giants actually in this game. Six <laughs> turnovers for the commanders. I mean, geez, don't tell Eric Bieniemy that this team is ranked bottom five in defense in terms of scoring and yardage this year, because it was ugly for the commanders uh, you know, give some credit to the Giants defense for sure. Kayvon Thibodeau, a couple of sacks Dexter Lawrence. He got in on the action. He had a sack and a pick six for Isaiah Simmons really kind of sealed the deal, uh, for the Giants in this one. So there haven't been a lot of defensive shout outs for the Giants this year, but, uh, a couple of their big playmakers on that side of the ball came through for them. But I mean, you're not going to win a game when you turn the ball over six times. Uh, and miraculously the commanders had that opportunity with the ball in their hands at the end of the game before that Isaiah Simmons pick six that they did have a chance, but, um, I got to say that the giants were able to kind of come through in this game. Um, really kind of fueled by, uh, by those takeaways that we saw in this game.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting. Obviously, like I said, Sam Howell, five turnovers uh, accounted for in that situation. Not ideal. Definitely a bad six on a day in total, but RK let's, let's get to what really matters. We had a, Fantastic, fantastic Monday Night Football game. Um, not may, maybe not in the sense that you would have anticipated this game being fantastic uh, originally, given the fact that I think pretty much everybody was expecting a shootout in this one. I think we were expecting a fifty-plus point game, um, really high-scoring affair. It did not actually turn out to be that way. Uh, the Eagles were down seventeen-seven at half, uh, shut out the Chiefs in the second half, uh, ended up winning twenty-one seventeen, a really nice comeback victory uh, for the Eagles. I will say. Not really anything to you know bring home to mom about when talking about Jalen Hurts at quarterback, the statistics, uh, passing, but the running game. It's really interesting to see him picking up yards here and there. He had a couple really nice scamper,s ended up scoring twice. Um, one of them a tush push, one of them a nice run from the ten yard line, I believe, somewhere around there. So it was nice to see that happen, and also uh, we did see a good game out of DeAndre Swift, which is something that we've talked about on the podcast. Not really getting um all the time. Uh, really very efficient, which I think is the more uh, the more Uh, important part um 6.3 yards per carry over 12 carries also had a couple catches uh aj brown worst game of the year by far for him but it doesn't matter because they do enough to hold off the chiefs uh, offense obviously Uh, pat mahomes did not have the greatest game of all time either 24 43 177 two tds and an interception uh both quarterbacks uh, it was definitely a defensive first game you could definitely tell the eagles especially um they really locked in the second half it was it was a a miraculous miraculous game to watch from them defensively because it looked like pat mahomes even when they did get the ball down the field there's always a risk of turning the ball over against this eagles team we saw kevin byard uh what was like actually a great lurk play really really surprising to see that because patrick mahomes when is pat mahomes getting getting lurked ever but uh regardless eagles big victory only team in the league with nine victories at this point uh i would anticipate that they are going to need to continue to win in the NFC with, uh, I guess, I guess we're going to call the Detroit Lions uh, their biggest competitor at this point. Also, the Niners, Cowboys right behind them. Top of the NFC is really, really stacked. But just in general, give me your takeaways. How are we feeling about this Eagles victory?
1: Yeah, this was a crazy game. Obviously, there was a ton of hype leading into it. Monday Night Football, Super Bowl rematch. You know, two teams coming in pretty hot. Um, you know, it was kind of a rainy, sloppy game more so than we may have uh, come to expect. To your point um, on that, you know, it was good game for DeAndre Swift as you said. Devontae Smith had a big play late in this game that led to uh, an Eagles touchdown um, that ended up sealing the deal for them. But uh, I mean, you mentioned a lot of the big points for me in this game. I think Patrick Mahomes played outstanding in this game. If you kind of look at the box score and Stats, you're like, oh, well, kind of an underwhelming performance, but he was giving it everything he had in this game. Pretty much should have thrown a go-ahead touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I think, without question. Put that ball in a perfect spot, uh, and you know, it was a great play call. Eagles were getting aggressive, trying to bring pressure on Mahomes. He was navigating the pocket really well, and uh, even in a in a game where his offensive tackles um, seemed pretty outmatched, uh, both Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor definitely had their hands full against Josh Sweat uh, and Hassan Reddick in this game. I think Pat Mahomes played a marvelous game and um, was really just kind of let down by some of his supporting casts. Not even just the Marquez Valdez scantling drop, but, um, you know, even the uh, interception he had, you know, Justin Watson, um, we saw him kind of get involved, did have a touchdown, but, um, you know, 11 targets. I'm not necessarily sure that, you know, that game plan for the Chiefs, they want to be throwing to Justin Watson as much as they did. Um, Eagles made some adjustments defensively. Um, Isaiah Pacheco was kind of all over him in that first half, but they really kind of shut him down in the second half. You know, no points for Kansas City in the entire second half. Um, That's kind of been an interesting storyline that has now plagued the Chiefs for a couple of games here. So, um, yeah, just kind of underwhelming performances outside of Patrick Mahomes on the side of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the officials definitely played a role in this game too. Uh, You know, some tough calls against both teams in this game, but um, I thought the Chiefs kind of got hampered a little bit by that and uh, ends up just being a a four-point win for the Eagles. And, yeah, just kind of looking ahead at the overall NFC, you mentioned the Detroit Lions. uh, You know, they already went in there. Arrowhead and got a win earlier this year, obviously going back to week one. So for the Eagles, this is obviously a very tough game, a lot of emotions with the Super Bowl rematch. But yeah, for a tiebreaker standpoint, this was big because if they had lost this game, you're looking at the Lions with the same record as the Eagles with two losses. Uh, and the Lions would have had that tiebreaker, um, You know, given the fact that they had a common opponent win, winning in Arrowhead. So big second half comeback for the Eagles. We've seen that now a couple of times this season where um, you know, the Eagles kind of stifled a little bit in the first half offensively. You know, they really did not have much going for him. Um, You know, five sacks for Jalen Hurts in this game. Seemed like the offensive line was a little bit outmatched, which isn't something you typically see um, for a Philadelphia Eagles team. But they were able to kind of just make enough plays in that second half. Uh, Obviously, the big play, 41 yards to Devontae Smith, set him up for that game-winning touchdown. Um, And DeAndre Swift was really just kind of the guy making things happen uh, in between the 20s uh, as well and and did find the end zone in this game uh, in the first half as well. So, hell of a game, ton of fun to watch. I was getting fired up watching this thing, Uh, especially after that Marquez Valdez scantling drop. I was just like, man, we got to finish this thing out. I was going crazy uh, watching this game, but um, was obviously very thrilled with the outcome and and the Eagles move on to nine and one still some tough games ahead of them uh, with Buffalo and San Francisco coming into Philly these next two weeks uh, and then they hit the road for two against Dallas and Seattle. So um, you know, still definitely some big football for the Eagles. Obviously, they didn't play perfect in this game, um, but I think a theme of this team is that they've been able to find ways, come back in a lot of these games and, and find ways to come out with victories and you look around the NFL I'm not sure there is a dominant team so the Eagles being just enough to win games yeah you can criticize them and yeah I'm sure they're going to slip up here at some point uh again uh, but um you know the fact that they've been super resilient um got to give a lot of credit to Jalen Hurts Nick Sirianni and, and the entire Eagles team for finding a way to come back in obviously a tough environment in Arrowhead and in some tough conditions with the weather as well.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I was going to bring it up really quickly before um, before we moved on here, but the weather was really, really brutal, especially in the first half. You could tell that the the rain just in general was sort of kind of hampering everybody. Um, some players slipping on the field. Um, you know, obviously, it's hard to run great routes when the field's a little bit wet. Or, or um, in that situation, it felt like there was some muddy. <laughs> it was just like like classic. You know, this is what football is supposed to be played in. Obviously, a great game. You did mention the Eagles schedule coming up. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun games like this in the future. I would anticipate, however, uh, the game against Buffalo on Sunday not going to be as a finesse game. I'm really hoping, and I think you probably agree with me, this is going to be a shootout among shootouts between the Bills and the Eagles. I would anticipate the Eagles are probably the better team in that matchup. But um, that, let me tell you, RK, before we move on. That is my game of the week for sure. That is what I'm most excited to watch. Um, I'm really curious to see what the Eagles will do with Josh Allen, given Josh Allen's propensity to just turn the ball over. It feels like the Eagles could be in a really good spot to make that happen again. Um, you know, Josh Allen's yelling, I'm back during this this last weekend's game. Great and all, but now you have to face the Eagles um, – Really excited about that one. Obviously, we have a really nice slate ahead of us. Uh, Football uh, this week is going to be immaculate. But we did have some other games to touch on, RK. uh, I guess the most important news of the week is uh, Joe Burrow out for the season after a really, really tough loss to the Baltimore Ravens. We saw Joe Burrow come out. Uh, at the end of the first half looked like he was in a lot of pain and turned out. He has a major wrist injury. There was also some concerns uh, previously about him walking up with a brace on his wrist, um, which is, was not disclosed by the Cincinnati Bengals. There were a lot of fantasy owners and a lot of betters alike that were very, very upset about this, but uh, nonetheless, Baltimore comes out with a 34 to 20 victory. I uh, saw a pretty good game out of Lamar Jackson uh, as per usual, kind of getting accustomed to Lamar Jackson being a little bit more efficient now than he was in past years. I, uh, we, I will say he was bad against Cleveland a couple weeks ago, but it it has been nice to see Lamar Jackson kind of a resurgence here. It feels like he's right at the top of the MVP race, along with Jalen Hurts, Pat Mahomes, and and the gang. Uh, Gus Edwards scores twice. Odell Beckham, four for 116. Odell Beckham making some noise, uh, getting active out there. Uh going to be really interesting to see what happens moving forward. I would have said that the Bengals were as scary as any team in the AFC coming into this week. Now we're at 5 and 5 and no Joe Burrow. I think you can pretty much call the season for the Bengals is that is that a little bit too harsh to say or are we uh we out on the Bengals for the rest of the year here?
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be tough uh, for the Bengals. You know, we know that the AFC wild card race is uh, obviously super tight. You know, a lot of teams kind of in that, you know, 500, maybe a game above kind of range. Uh, and then obviously you factor in that they lost Joe Burrow and they're playing in what I would say is the best division overall in the NFL right now. When you look at that AFC North division, um, you know, that's obviously very unfortunate for them. Uh, moving on to Jake Browning is obviously a significant drop off. So uh, going to be a, a tough road ahead for Cincinnati might just not be, um, you know, their calling this year, Um, you know, but they obviously have been a team we've counted out before, but I think without Joe Burrow, that definitely is a significant factor um, that, you know, weighs uh, hard on them. I think on the side of the Ravens, uh, you you said efficient with Lamar Jackson, you know, maybe in a different way than we typically expect. He was obviously active on the ground, um, 50 yards rushing in this game, but uh, only completed 16 passes, but a lot of them were explosive plays uh, for uh, Baltimore in this one. You mentioned Odell Beckham, but also Zay Flowers and Nelson Aguilar had a long touchdown uh, in this game. Flowers had a couple of explosive plays um, had a pass catch for over 30 yards so um, you know good job for Baltimore to kind of right the ship uh, obviously after losing that game last week to Cleveland that we touched on um, and we'll we'll touch on the Browns here in a little bit too but um, yeah definitely uh, AFC North has given us a lot of big games and we were expecting this one to be kind of that thriller nail biter but obviously the injury to Burrow really kind of changes things in terms of the long-term outlook um, for what the Bengals are looking ahead here.
0: Yeah, and also worth discussing, just a a quick mention, Mark Andrews also got hurt on the other side. Obviously, Joe Burrow was the major name to be out for the year here. Uh, Mark Andrews, it was initially feared that he was going to be out for the year, but it does seem like they've walked that back a little bit. Maybe he comes back for playoff time or the last week of the season, um, which is very ideal, but just in general, a big win for the Baltimore Ravens. As you mentioned, we are going to hop over to the other AFC North matchup, because we did have two AFC North matchups this week with Pittsburgh and Cleveland playing. Um, It did not anywhere near as exciting as a Bengals Ravens matchup um, Cleveland without Deshaun Watson Pittsburgh without offense again Uh kind of sort of what has been grown to uh, we're grown accustomed to obviously uh, we did see Matt Canada get fired after this one after Pittsburgh puts up only 10 points against uh, you know Let's be honest here. Uh, you would have thought Cleveland coming in, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, you would have thought, okay, this is a week where the Steelers can probably put up some points, uh, probably do a little bit, given the fact that uh, you would have anticipated Cleveland's offense wasn't going to do anything. Did end up being the case, but all we saw out of the Steelers' offense was one big play out of Jalen Warren. He had a 74-yard touchdown run. The rest of the team was lethargic, to say. the like, it, It's a really crazy... I I'm still a little bit confused by it because I think you can go down this roster. Obviously Najee Harris, maybe not what we were expecting to see out of Najee Harris. Like, ever he's kind of been underwhelming uh year in year out here uh, but george pickens another very very mediocre week doesn't get the ball there uh, from kenny pickett uh deontay johnson after coming off a week where he scored goes back to being essentially useless again which is surprising pat fryermuth comes back you're thinking okay this is a huge huge addition to an offense that doesn't move the ball a uh, short yardage receiver somebody who can kind of move the ball up the, up the field doesn't happen you know you're getting one target seven yards and your return back it's a little bit concerning to me obviously the Steelers decided to fire Matt Canada but I want to ask you is there a bigger issue than Matt Canada here are we thinking like maybe Kenny Pickett is just not it at quarterback because my estimation here it's it's really bad to be a Steelers fan and think about this offense Matt Canada probably couldn't fix what Kenny Pickett's doing
1: yeah, I mean, I, I never was a huge uh, Kenny Pickett guy. Obviously, he went to college at Pitt and was the only quarterback picked in the first three rounds the year he kind of came out. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't huge on that. You mentioned Jalen Warren. He was obviously the story um, for Pittsburgh offensively in this game. Um, only had nine carries, but 129 yards and a touchdown, including a 74-yard run uh, in this one. But, um, yeah, just just not enough for Pittsburgh. And I think the Browns, like, at, at first we were kind of, you know, still doubting them and losing Watson and all that. But I think you got to give some credit here to the Browns defense uh quietly have the number one passing defense uh in the nfl uh and miles garrett leads the nfl in sacks with 13 you know also you know there's maybe a chance that miles garrett could break the single season sack record at this point in time he's absolutely dominating so um yeah this game it was kind of a a afc north slugfest uh maybe more of like a big 10 football game than uh you know an nfl game at some points but um yeah i think i was surprised that cleveland you know was that confident in thompson robinson you know we saw him have some flashes in the preseason season but throwing the ball 43 times um, and you know just rushing the ball 29 not necessarily the balance that I would have uh, have predicted um, out of Cleveland in this one and you know they sit at 7-3 and at this point in time and uh, only have losses to Pittsburgh which they just you know resolved and and got a win at home lost to Baltimore uh, at home but that we mentioned they were able to get a win at Baltimore and, and you know help out with that and then a loss at Seattle obviously a really tough place to play so the Browns resume really is not all that bad so obviously we still have a little bit of doubt in terms of you know can this offense really kind of keep up but their defense has certainly done their job and uh as giving them a chance uh you know to continue to be in that playoff hunt uh you know at seven and three they definitely have a damn good chance to get in um even with the you know injuries that they've dealt with uh specifically to watson
0: yeah, I think it is uh it is impressive the resume that you do bring up. Obviously, wins over San Francisco. They beat Baltimore this year. Um really beat up on Cincinnati week 1, which was something that still was was interesting. It's still interesting to me that that happened. Uh, Joe Burrow was a little bit hurt, but you would have anticipated a better performance there. Uh yeah, the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. Maybe they maybe they are actually like like legit for once instead of just being a, a fraudulent team, I don't anticipate this Cleveland Browns team is going to be able to compete with a Kansas City or even like a Baltimore in a playoff game. I'd probably take the Ravens pretty handily, regardless of who quarterback is. Uh, but impressive nonetheless. Uh, around the league, not a whole lot going on. In RK, a pretty pretty mild boring week. Uh, we didn't see a whole lot of uh, exciting information, exciting stuff. Uh, to talk about, but I will mention, um, the New York Jets. They are, it's really gone downhill. I just want to touch on this real quick. Josh Allen mentioned before, had a really nice game against the Jets defense. Um, they won 32 to six. We have seen a coming into Thursday, you know, or coming though, I guess Friday for the Jets, but uh, Friday night, <laughs> Friday afternoon, Tim Boyle at quarterback RK, Zach Wilson has officially lost his job. Um, I just wanted to ask, is it, did it take too long for this to happen? Because I, I'm under the impression that it might have taken too long Like they might have just cooked their season by relying on Zach Wilson.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously that wasn't their plan coming in, but um, you know, Wilson, you know, playing a lot, you know, they didn't invest in a QB three at this point. You know, is Tim Boyle that much better? I mean, Wilson's been really bad, so it's at least worth trying at this point. But yeah, just kind of unfortunate series of events for the Jets um this year. You know, I feel like they've got some guys that are going out there giving it their all. Obviously, you got some pieces in place with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson on offense, like Sauce Gardner and Quinnen Williams on defense, but um, you know, just not enough. Uh, you know, at the most important position the quarterback position um you know that's going to be something that always kind of hampers you and you know a blowout loss the bills obviously had circled this one on their calendar after they lost that one back in week one against the jets um you know at at MetLife. so um you know bills they get back on track and, and yeah it seems like it may be yet another year of disappointment for the jets um obviously a very very far you know chance at this point that they will get into the playoffs at all
0: yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's been a really surprising year just in general out of New York football. I would have anticipated both the Jets and Giants being a little bit more competitive than they are. Obviously, both teams have a reason, I guess, with injuries. You can kind of kind of say, you know, the Giants have been banged up all year. Saquon and Dale Jones have been missed the year. Uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers out week one. But, yeah. Really, really tough. New York sports in general, never ideal. It really seems like New York sports are really never ideal at this point because there were a lot of baseball fans, especially, I would say. Uh, our, our Yankees fans' friends were talking about how excited they were for the football season coming into it. Um, it's just it's just more pain, RK. It really is just more pain. And I think that it just – I guess it just is what it is with New York sports here. Uh, we do have good news, RK, talk about uh, college football, <laughs> you know, if if we wanna call it good news, I guess we can. Uh Iowa, once again, a really, really low scoring affair. Um, it did seem like in this one they might get to the over. Uh it did not end up happening. Iowa's defense really turned it up in the second half. Obviously, it was ten to nine at halftime with nineteen points and a half of football with an Iowa Iowa football team in there. It's fairly impressive at this point. Uh, but we did see Iowa come back sorta of, kinda a little bit, if you want to call it that. Um I ended up watching a decent amount of this game, just given the fact that, you know, I know we talk about it every week on the podcast. College football was boring. Um, a good game from Deacon Hill, I guess. Like, it's not the worst offensive performance from them. Uh, the run game was solid. Illinois is really bad, uh, which is to, to the surprise of nobody, I guess, at this point. But you can really tell this Illinois football team uh, was mediocre. I had no idea who John Paddock was coming into the game, and I have no idea who John Paddock is after the game. So that, that really doesn't help. But just in general, um, go Iowa big 10 West baby like how does it happen every year how do we do this
1: Yeah, you know, more uh, classic Iowa defense coming through uh, at Kinnick, uh, even without Cooper DeGene at this point in time, you know, that Hawkeye defense is still causing a lot of issues. And then, yeah, offensively, it was ugly yet again. Yeah, a good game for an Iowa quarterback, 167 yards and a touchdown. Woohoo. That's like a season, you know, best. Uh, You could go back maybe a few years. Like it's been that bad. I got to give a small credit to the running back duo that they've got there at Iowa. Caleb Johnson had a late touchdown um, that put the Hawkeyes ahead and they were able to hold on to that. Lashawn Williams has been the other back. They've been kind of riding at different points this year. So um yeah, it's been ugly. It's just kind of funny to see how everything is unfolded. Obviously, a lot of storylines about Brian Ferentz the Iowa offensive coordinator, son of Kirk Ferentz you know, having that 25-point quota came out a couple weeks ago that he will not be returning no matter what. And he's clearly not hitting that 25-point quota. I'll tell you that. So um yeah, he was getting a Gatorade bath. And uh it's just kind of funny that, you know, obviously the Iowa defense is the reason that they're nine and two. And again, we go back to that Minnesota game. They probably should be 10 and one, which is crazy for a team that has this horrendous of an offense. Maybe Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, maybe we should have given him the Gatorade bath because he's actually carrying this team for years at this point. And Brian Ferentz has been doing nothing offensively and coordinating a terrible offense. And yet he's the one getting the emotional Gatorade bath. But obviously he's put through a lot of stress and that's what the Hawkeyes see. And, um, you know, he gets a little recognition in his last game uh, at Kinnick. But um, yeah, it's been such a strange season for Iowa, Um, even. by iowa standards you know this offense seems just so horrendously bad and the fact that they're nine and two and again get the honor of getting slapped by the winner of that big game between Ohio State and Michigan in Indianapolis in the Big Ten title game. Uh, it's inevitable. We know what's going to happen. That point spread might be in the 20s, probably should be in the 30s, uh, if we're really being honest. It's it's probably going to be that ugly of a game uh, in my opinion in Indy. Uh, similar fate to what we saw a couple years ago when Michigan did it uh, in what was J.J. McCarthy's actually first year with Michigan uh, when Cade McNamara was actually their starter for most of the year, obviously injured for Iowa this year. So weird season for the Iowa Hawkeyes, but um, they just find ways to win games and they technically sit with the nine and two record it's crazy to say
0: yeah you know rk i had one question on iowa football in that big 10 title game over under 12 points scored i'm thinking we're seeing the under rk i'm not gonna lie to you uh we did see them the, the penn state game is what really gives me as you would say a pause here I uh, i saw them do absolutely nothing against penn state and i'm thinking it's gonna get worse but are we giving them we giving them 12 points against the michigan or ohio state
1: I'm going to say yes, but only because they'll either get a turnover or a special <laughs> team play that'll help them out, maybe put the ball at like the one yard line, maybe they'll do it <laughs> themselves. And we also could get some garbage time. So maybe the Michigan fourth stringers will be in there by that point And uh, Iowa can, you know, get some pity points and yardage uh, to get it done. So I say they get the over on 12, but I'm not feeling good for the right reasons on saying that.
0: Yeah, you know, obviously, Iowa's game on Friday against Nebraska, the over under is 26, which is just incredibly, incredibly low. Nebraska actually favored by two and a half points in this game. So uh, they're anticipating a Nebraska 14 to 12 victory, 15 to 12 victory, uh, which is really, really shameful. That's the Big Ten. (laughs) Yeah. Really, really shameful to say out loud that that's that's a real thing. But nonetheless, uh, Iowa football—they do it again. Miami football—they also do it again, but in an, in the opposite manner. Uh, Miami football has been just a disaster since the bye week, week five, going into Georgia Tech, four and zero, anticipating a really really strong season ahead of you. Uh, they've lost five of seven. Uh, we did see Tyler Van Dyke played the whole game injured. Uh, he's got a really really bad uh bone tissue separation in his leg to where every time he steps on the field, he looks like he's really gimpy out there. Uh, nonetheless. A really strong performance out of Tyler Van Dyke, and I, I think there's a lot of Miami fans that have been kind of, um, I don't know, for for lack of a better term, shitting on him this season for a very, very mediocre performance, which is very, very truthful and very honest. But I, I'm gonna be real here. Anybody goes out there in a meaningless football game? Because let's let's be honest, Miami football, every game is meaningless at this point. Uh, goes out there, gives a really, really strong performance, at least twenty four, thirty nine, three twenty seven, a touchdown. Should have had more. Some really weird drops out of a. a Usually very reliable receiver core with Restrepo and, and Jacoby George out there um, doing their thing. But uh, nonetheless, Louisville pulls out the victory in the fourth quarter. Miami actually led um, coming into the fourth. Louisville scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Miami's offense couldn't get anything done. Uh, Louisville somehow survives. Only one loss in the season. Uh, I'm not. I'm, they're probably not going to do anything against a Florida State team, I would anticipate, in a couple weeks. But the line is only set at four and a half which is uh, interesting given the Jordan Travis injury. Uh, just in general, RK, like, I don't know how much Louisville football you've watched this season, but in my estimation, it seems like they've more walked on mediocre performances, walked through with mediocre performances, walked on um, average at best teams. And them being in a one-loss situation is like maybe not iowa S because their offense does score a little bit, but it's, it's a little fraudulent to me. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I will say I do like Jeff Braun. Their head coach came over from Purdue, um, was a Louisville alum. So nice to see him, you know, bring this program back to kind of relevancy, which they really haven't had since Lamar Jackson left. Uh, that's probably the, as good a year as they're having right now at 10-1. and one. Um, You know, did have some good performances. They're running back Isaac Guriendo, um transfer from Wisconsin, had a pretty solid game running the ball for Louisville. But, yeah, it was kind of high scoring, back and forth action, you know, close, uh, tight affair that Louisville was able to come out on. Even had that close Hail Mary at the end that Restrepo caught and couldn't quite get uh over the goal line so um yeah i think louisville they may give florida state a game and obviously the fact that jordan travis is not there brings an extra element to maybe we could get a surprise in the acc title game i'm um, still just kind of waiting to see how florida state is able to respond um you know with a big injury to you know one of their top players this year obviously so i mean louisville has been a good story for sure uh, in the acc i think it's been a down year for the conference overall i think we probably would have expected a north carolina or something like that to be in this spot with you know the big name quarterback and drake may but um um, yeah, give Louisville their credit. They're fighting under Jeff Brom, who I think's done a really good job uh, for them. But um, yeah, I, I you know they're obviously a far cry from a college football playoff caliber team. But um, give them some credit for for coming away to to get out on top of these games and, and some tight finishes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, we're not going to see them in the college football playoff, which is ideal regardless of what happens, even if they were to go out there and win um, against Florida State after beating Kentucky uh, on Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. You know, obviously, they still got some some games to go through, but uh, 10th-ranked Louisville, you know, I guess that's an accomplishment in itself. Uh, the game of the week, RK, uh, I an- anticipated this, I guess, being the only game to talk about because we, we did see Georgia absolutely slap Tennessee, but Washington Oregon State, Definitely an exciting matchup. Definitely much lower scoring than I would have anticipated. Uh, We actually came into this week with a 62 and a half over, under, only got to 42 points. Oregon State was actually favored by two in this one because apparently uh, Corvallis is like the most, it's the most difficult place to play in all of college football or something along those lines. Seeing the statistics out there, uh, I was very surprised to see, uh, you know, the teams that go up against Oregon State in in Corvallis never score. The defense is always immaculate pretty much. And this was the case again. I think you can say Michael Penix even leading the team to a victory, uh, not a good game for him. All things considered, uh, only had 162 passing yards, ended up having three TDs uh, total, but just in general, a really, really strong game here. Uh, If DJU was any better on Oregon State's side, they probably win this game. I think that that's pretty fair to say. A very not-so-good game from DJU after what I would call a a surprising season he's had. Uh, Pretty effective, pretty efficient. Not too many turnovers coming to this one, but a really, really tough performance there. Washington, once again... Sneaks away with a victory. We've seen them get a couple of close ones the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the Utah game was tight. Uh, USC game was tight. The Stanford game the week before was tight. But Washington manages to keep winning. A big game against Washington State upcoming this week. Like, we're in a position where the pack has some, some heavy hitters. And I think Washington, not a team that I would have anticipated being at this point, but I, I'm really going to give them their flowers. Like, I think it's crazy impressive to see what they've done.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun to watch them this year. Uh, I mean, they just have some fun playmakers. Dylan Johnson at running back has been really good. Did have a fumble in this game. Uh, Wide receiver Romo Dunze has been incredible all season long. Had two more touchdowns in this game. 100 yards out of the 162 that Penix had overall. Had over half of Penix's pass completions total in this game. I mean, Odunze is an absolute lock to go in the first round at this point, in my opinion. Um, He's just had that great of a season. And then um, one other player on Washington's side that really caught my eye, actually on their defense defensive side jabbar muhammad had two interceptions in this game uh for washington had an incredible pass breakup on a nice throw actually from dju um that would have been a touchdown but made an incredible play on a double move uh, in the red zone and also had a uh, fumble recovery in this game too so he was flying all over the field was really impressed with uh jabbar muhammad and uh washington's been fun to watch i think where i'm at on this it's like they're 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 pac 12 good in a year that we think the pac 12 is good but I just kind of sense if they matched up against the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, they're going to get stomped. And just kind of a familiar fate that, um, you know, these non-SEC Power Five conferences, you know, one, you know they're looking good now, but how are they going to fare when, you know, they play those, you know, the big Bulldogs from Georgia, um, for example. So I think I would definitely pick Georgia big in that game still. But um, nevertheless, it's been a special season for them in the Pac-12 for Washington. Hopefully they can kind of close it out and uh, cap it off with a Pac-12 championship as well. Obviously the marquee win against Oregon a couple weeks ago, which was we've touched on but um yeah they've had some fun playmakers on uh, on both sides of the ball um at this point and um this was kind of a, uh, a thrilling win that they had you know in, in kind of a hostile environment give Oregon State some credit you know they've had a solid season and um, have some fun receivers that are just kind of dynamic getting it out there with uh, Silas Bolden for example so um yeah I, it was a fun game to watch uh you know this weekend and, and Washington continues to keep it rolling you know 11-0 record um just continues to impress and you know put themselves in a position where they'll at least be able to get get into the college football playoff, um, you know, we'll see how much damage they can do when they get there.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting, obviously. Would you say an Oregon team might fare better against Georgia if that was the case, if Oregon was to win the pack and make it into the college football playoff? uh, Would you be more confident in Oregon being able to beat a team like Georgia, or do you think Washington is still just a little bit better?
1: Yeah, it's, that's a that's a really good question. It's tough to say. Obviously, old enough to remember last year when Georgia, you know, beat the piss out of Oregon, if we're really being honest. And uh, week <laughs> one of last year, that was an ugly game. And obviously, different teams, different situation, you know, a year later. But, um, you know, it's tough to say. I just think that overall, there's just still that, you know, that clear gap between the SEC and everybody else. So I don't think it would really matter too much, um, you know, at this point in time. But um, who knows? Like, Pac, you know, for example, last year, TCU had a big year in the Big 12. They got a win, you know, getting to the championship game. Game, but then we saw the inevitable fate, you know, getting destroyed against Georgia in the title game. So it just kind of strikes me as a similar situation to that. Um, but, you know, there's been some fun storylines and, and Penick certainly makes for uh, an interesting battle if he can really kind of step up, pull out, say like a CJ Stroud performance that we saw last year against Georgia um, where he gave it all he had, you know, probably should have put them in a position where Ohio State should have beat Georgia in that semifinal looking back. But um, yeah, Washington, they've been good to watch. I'm still, you know, not necessarily picking them to win the national championship, but um, I think Odunze. Dylan Johnson and uh, Penix definitely make for a uh, interesting matchup. Um, if Washington is able to get this thing done and advance all the way to the college football playoff,
0: yeah, you know, I did just want to bring up one thing. It does mean more in the SEC still, uh, but not for Auburn. Uh, Auburn pays New Mexico State to come in and lose by and they lose by twenty one, which is just shocking. RK, we're talking about an Auburn team that beat Arkansas by thirty eight last week in Arkansas. Like they they literally traveled to Fayetteville beat them by 38 points a decent arkansas football team when well, i'm not talking arkansas being great or anything it's it's a very mediocre squad but new mexico state comes in and beats them 31 to 10 it just means more this is what i'm looking for in these 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 cupcake matchups i want these things to happen every year so they just stop doing it and start playing each other in week <laughs> week 12 of this season um had to get that in there we really it does. It just means more. Everybody else was fine in in their cupcake games. Obviously, Alabama got to beat Chattanooga by sixty points. Everybody was clapping, having having a great time. It was fun. Um, Auburn, you're not that guy, Auburn. We need to we need to get over this schedule. Some schedule somebody in your conference like a like an equally as mediocre. Like get get me a game against anybody. That's not New Mexico State next time. This this should teach you a lesson. Uh, you should feel bad about this one if you're an Auburn fan. I'm sorry for you. It's really tough. Moving forward, RK, are you got anything? Give me give me your last thoughts here. Let's hear it.
1: No, you're, you're exactly spot on. That was, that was probably the biggest surprise of the weekend uh, was seeing that uh, that score in uh, at Jordan Hare. Not, a, not a fun one on the other side of the state in Alabama uh, even though they were singing sweet home Alabama and Tuscaloosa over the weekend.
0: You know, Auburn, just schedule Vanderbilt next time. Give yourself a Vanderbilt game. Don't schedule Mexico state. Like if you want to beat up on somebody beat up on a, on a crappy team from in your conference, that's all I got to say. Um, we have, some news from other sports that are not football related, which is a little bit interesting. Obviously, the NHL season kicked off a couple weeks ago. NBA season kicked off a couple weeks ago. But we actually want to talk about baseball. Um, we have some some minor news, I would say, outside of one big story, which was Aaron Nola going back to the Phillies. Uh, seven years, $172 million. We did see after the fact. Uh he turned down extra money from other teams, including teams like the Dodgers and the Braves, who were apparently super, super hot on top of trying to get Aaron Nola. But he goes back to the Phillies, uh, a little bit of a pay cut, but still seven years, $172 million. A really, really significant amount of money to pay a starting pitcher, regardless, given the fact that he's gonna give you at most thirty-five starts in a season. Uh, so you're paying him nearly a million dollars per start when you consider injuries and such. Um, I guess my thought here, Arkin. I don't. You can tell me if you disagree. Um, the Phillies knowing the Braves were competitive and really, really wanted to bring in Arenola makes this even sweeter for them. Uh, even if it was a, a lot of money, it's not my money. It's not your money. I'm just a fan to hear. I'm just watching the team play baseball. I don't really care. So if you're a Phillies fan, uh, this shouldn't matter to you at all. But just in general, um, a really, really large accomplishment for the Phillies to be able to keep Arenola. I think given the fact that the comparable players in free agency you would have been bringing in like a Blake Snell maybe which probably would have cost you more money um less city connection less fun Phillies fans love Aaron Nola, so it really seems to make a little bit of a sense um anything here that throws you off a little bit whether money fit uh anything along those
1: lines him not signing with the Braves or the Dodgers yeah. like that's kind of crazy is it not yeah, I think the the part where he turned down more money is really interesting but it's just kind of a cool story to look at you know from an outside perspective you know first round pick of the Phillies way back in 2014 coming out of lSU you know has pitched for them in the World Series uh you know came up short obviously uh in in you know winning it all but um you know certainly has the position to you know get back there pitching some really meaningful you know deep postseason games for the Phillies you know this contract has him signed through you know age 37 for him he's 30 years old right now so um you know just kind of a nice story for Nola, who obviously has been one of the more consistent pitchers in baseball, um, you know, over the last handful of years. So um, definitely I was uh, was was glad to see that from a Phillies perspective, you know, always, um, you know, seems to be near the top of the NL when the season comes to an end, not always in the middle of the season. Sometimes the Phillies have some ups and downs, but um, I think that it is, uh, it was nice to see that um, Nola opts to stay still. And uh, obviously, you know, everybody's like, oh, we're moving teams and whatnot. It's cool to see some of those guys that, you know, maybe this guy could be a lifelong Philly, um, you know, if he calls it quits, um, you know, after he's 37 or at some point during this contract. So thought that was a cool story that, uh, you know, Nola opted to uh, stay with the Phillies uh, on this deal.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point because in the MLB, we don't see lifer players a lot of the time. Like uh, somebody spending a full career, 15 years with a team is very, very infrequent at this point in the MLB. Maybe it's just uh, a money league. You can obviously, if you're a good player, you can get money somewhere else. Probably it's it's not that difficult, but uh, I do think that is an interesting point. Uh, we did have another signing, which is uh, much more confusing than this one, I would say. Uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals spending 11 million dollars to sign Lance Lynn, also brought in uh, brought a team option onto that contract, so they could theoretically bring him back the year after as well. Um, the Cardinals coming off a year where they were 71 and 91, horrible, horrible, horrible baseball team last year. Really, really tough to watch. Just in general, I don't know what happened with the Cardinals because I think both you and I were anticipating better than a 71 win season, worse than the Pittsburgh Pirates, worse than the Cincinnati Reds, worse than the Chicago Cubs. Um, a little bit, ah. Uh, a little bit interesting there, but just in general, um, are you at all surprised or confused by Lance Lynn going to the St. Louis Cardinals or is this kind of just like a, Hey, you give me the money. I'll pitch wherever, whoever wants me, I'll pitch for him.
1: Yeah. I think the fit makes sense. You said it, obviously there's a big need. Cardinals pitching was awful last year. And um, it's also a cool story considering Lance Lynn started his career with the Cardinals pitched there um, from 2011 to 2017 um, has, you know, since bounced around to a handful of different spots, but cool to see him go back. Um, to the spot with the Cardinals, um, you know, obviously a veteran pitcher at this point in time, um, you know, at 37 years old, um, you know, going into the next season. So, um, you know, they're, they're just kind of banking on, Oh, maybe this guy will be able to get some strikeouts for us, get through five innings and, and kind of call it good. Cause um, they didn't have many guys that they could really rely upon, um, you know, to do that. So um, yeah, I think the fit makes sense. And yeah, Lance Lynn probably just cashing out, um, you know, sees a, a fat contract, 11 million sounds good to me and, and we'll move on.
0: Yeah, sounds about right to me. Obviously, baseball, the contracts that come out are surprising. I think Cardinals fans were hoping that they would sign anybody that wasn't 80 years old. Um, I, I saw a lot of very befuddled Cardinals fans given the circumstances uh, of the situation. Like, I don't think the Cardinals are coming back next year as a competitor, probably. I think there's a little bit more. They're probably a little bit further away than, than anticipated here. So that will be um really interesting to see what happens there. Uh, we did see the Padres go and finally Hire a manager. It seems like it may may have taken a little bit too long for this to happen. Uh, but Mike Schilt, former Cardinals manager, is brought in to the Padres. I, I was looking at his Wikipedia page just to see like what was what was going on if there was any reason he was fired. And the bottom of his Wikipedia page, above his coaching record, was like the biggest fluff piece in the world. Uh, they said over his four years on his Wikipedia page, it says over his four years, the Cardinals never had on field or off field issues once. Like that's like a gen- genuine quote from the the Mike Schilt's. Wikipedia page that's not true I can I can tell you that I'm not in the locker room I can guarantee you somebody at some point under Cardinals management uh, he was there for four years they lost in the wild card three of four years somebody was mad at some point somebody got a, a DUI at some point somebody somebody did something wrong on or off the field at some point in his three and a half years tenure with the Cardinals so I just wanted to call that out but just in general the Padres hire a a season manager somebody who's made it to the playoffs a couple of times. The Padres really need to be doing that with their payroll, um obviously an 82-win season last year. Any thoughts considering you uh you have a a little bit of a thought on him given the the central connection?
1: Yeah, I uh, you know just kind of a name I forgot about. It had only been a couple of years since he left the Cardinals. I was like, oh yeah, this guy is still around and can be a manager. Um, you know, Padres obviously they have high expectations. Last year was a big disappointment for them. Um, you know, not even qualifying for the playoffs or even really coming close to a wild card spot was a big surprise. So, um, you know, I think getting some guy that has at least gotten a team to the playoffs is a good step up. Um, but yeah, I think I was at least a little bit surprised. Um, even despite you know some of the success, um, you know that he had with Cardinals, at least in terms of the regular season there. Um, you know, I you know wasn't. Necessarily necessarily something that i was uh forecasting but uh who knows padres you know they need a new voice in there they've obviously got the talent so the potential for them to turn it around is certainly there
0: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch their offseason because there have been a lot of just ups and downs. I would say, obviously, their owner needing money a little bit here. Uh, It seems like they've had some issues paying players. Um, They've got some behind the scenes issues. Also, there's been a lot of rumors about Juan Soto potentially being traded. Not sure if that ever happens, uh, but it would be really curious to see um, how that plays out. We've got an interesting there's a couple interesting teams to watch. Uh, this offseason, I would say the Potters are up there with teams like the Angels, uh, as in like, a, what are they going to do? Where are they going? What's the direction thing? So that'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully some more baseball news coming up, obviously, as the winter comes around and, and teams start meeting with players. It should be uh, a lot more fun. But as we've noted, every podcast ever, MLB offseason sucks. They're very slow. Um, it's going to be weeks, months until we have all the news out. So that stinks. But uh, we can shift over finally to the NBA real quick. We have some NHL questions later, but we have an actual NBA topic. We never discussed the James Harden trade when he was moved on Halloween. It was weird timing for the podcast. Something just slipped under our – slipped through the cracks, I would say. Uh, but James Harden was moved to the Clippers for what I would call a pile of crap and a couple of first-round picks, um, just depth players, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, uh, Nicholas Batum, who's, you know, Nicholas Batum. Like, what are you getting out of these guys? But to start off his Clippers career, they went 0-6. Uh, James Harden, it seemed like he doesn't fit at all, actually. It's really been a really weird, um, circumstantially speaking, uh, he's pushed Russell Westbrook to the bench. Uh, It's been a really interesting situation there. Uh, Doesn't play a whole lot of defense. Once again, um, no surprise there, but uh, they finally won their first game against Houston on Friday, a really, really dreadful Houston team, and then San Antonio, who is at the bottom of the conference. So they've won two straight with James Harden in the lineup, which is, you know, claps to them. I'm really proud of them for figuring it out. Uh, James Harden has turned into a more of a point guard. Once again, <laughs> I don't know what's exactly happening with his career because I think, RK, okay, if you remember anything about James Harden, it's like him absolutely putting up crazy numbers on the Houston Rockets or, or the Oklahoma city, like him putting up massive, massive point numbers. All of a sudden the guy doesn't score points. He's just, he's a passer uh, that, that kind of happened the last couple of years. Now with the Clippers, even less shots to go up. Um, what is there to make out of this? What is the takeaway now that we've seen a couple weeks of really like failure basketball, I would say, out of James Harden and the Clippers?
1: Yeah, it's tough because obviously you know that there's some model and some validity too. We just need star players on the court if we're going to compete in the NBA. And obviously they already had that duo of George and Leonard that um, have been banged up in their career and you know are in their 30s. So they get another guy who's 34 years old and hope to just kind of fit him in on the mix. You know, three guys all making over 35 million. So uh, Steve Ballmer is obviously thinking that these paychecks are going to start turning uh, you know things around. You know, it took a little bit of time as you said. You know they're going to try to see if they can get Harden to change his game but obviously that has failed at a couple of different spots now Philadelphia going back to the Nets um, as well for for Harden that obviously didn't go too well so um, I'm a little skeptical that it will go good but I'm hopeful because um, as in the NBA it's fun to see the star players kind of go out there and if James Harden is uh, you know able to get um, you know 20 points 10 assists um, that obviously bodes well you know for the Clippers in terms of competing in a loaded West so um, it didn't get off to a great start and uh, uh, at least but obviously a long way to go and um, you know I think that they're at least good enough to make the playoffs when the playoffs are mattering, not this in-season tournament stuff. But um yeah, it was definitely an interesting move. Um, uh, You know, we talked about how there was the drama with he and Daryl Morey with the Sixers. You kind of figured the writing was on the wall that he was going to leave. Who's the taker ends up being the Clippers. So, um, you know, we'll end up seeing where things go, but I don't think championship, I think that's obviously a big stretch to, you know, guarantee that after a move like this, but uh, maybe that makes them a, at least a little bit more of a contender to get to say the Western conference finals, you know, once we get that, that point, um, you know, later in uh in the spring
0: yeah it is interesting obviously we talk about the powerhouses in the western conference all the time but at the top of the west in the nba right now uh, the minnesota timberwolves obviously we have the denver nuggets at two but oklahoma city at three obviously we've seen some really interesting performances out of shea and chet it's been really fun to watch actually i chet holmgren is kind of burst on the scene as a like oh this is he's like him this is this is that guy he's going to be nasty in the future they're going to be really really scary um but yeah it's you're not seeing any la teams both the clippers and the warriors have struggled really hard to start the season as have the phoenix suns so the nba hopefully we'll have a lot to talk about there uh in the coming days weeks months we did have something pop up live pod um as we're as we're recording we did see uh, I guess we're calling him Shaquille Leonard, formerly known as Darius Leonard, uh, get waived by the Colts. Uh, out of nowhere, really, I would say, something that wasn't on anybody's radar everywhere. Um, The only thing that may stop a team from claiming, Sha- I guess we're calling him Shaq Leonard at this point, uh, is his contract. He's under contract through 2026. If somebody was to claim him through waivers, they would have to pay him a lot of money. I think it's $54 million for the next three years. Uh, $6.1 million for us this year so. Maybe tough to see if anybody fits him in there. It might not be the greatest fit in the world for him, but uh, just in general, I, I think we're we're calling Darius Leonard, Shack Leonard, whatever we're calling him. We're we're saying there's going to be some competitive football out of him coming forward. He could help a team, can he not? Like this, this could be a really really nice pickup for somebody with a little bit of cap room.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you look back to his first four years in the NFL, you know, three of them, he was a first team all pro. So um, most recently that was in 2021. And yeah, maybe there has been a little bit of drop off, you know, he was really dynamic in terms of forcing fumbles, which obviously if you have a linebacker, that's, you know, causing a lot of turnovers, that's something um, really good led the league in, in that stat in 2021, but hasn't had one these last two years. So I think that you're probably looking at, you know, can we find him a spot where a defensive coordinator uh, is going to be able to allow him to, to just kind of roam free uh, out there and and try to you know hunt the ball um, and uh, and do that. So uh, Colts, you know they you know won some games. It's kind of been a little up and down though overall for them. Uh, I have obviously an offensive-minded head coach with Shane Steichen now, so um, I'm optimistic that he can find another spot um, and and be successful uh, elsewhere. But um, yeah, it definitely comes as a little bit of a surprise to see him you know cut straight up midseason at just 28 years old. Yeah, really, really weird
0: timing for that. Obviously, the Colts coming off a victory, five and five, still semi in the playoff hunt, I would say. Um, obviously a little bit, a little bit of an issue there. Gardner Minshew, I don't know how much we're we're calling Gardner Minshew. Uh, I don't, I don't know how excited we're getting about that. But just in general, five and five team cutting one of your better players always a confusing, confusing reality. Um, on to questions though, RK. We had quite a few questions, mostly from Eric, but we'll start off with our good friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Trey. He's asking, if your team sucks, a la the Titans, how do you determine who is to blame? And he goes on to say, "Uh, the coaches for not developing versus the GM for not selecting good players. Players could just suck because they're bad. But how do you distinguish that from the coach potentially not playing them to their strengths and or developing them? Uh, I'll give this to you, RK. Is there even a way to determine who is exactly to blame? Or uh, is this a lot harder than we make it out to be as just a process in general?
1: Yeah, it's tough. You got to combine, obviously, a lot of factors. It's a really good question. And, you know, anytime someone's struggling, you turn on the radio and someone's blaming somebody. So um, it's good to kind of, you know, outline what we think on that. I think in terms of the Titans, though, you know, kind of based on, you know, where we're going here, I think you you got to start and look at the roster. And I think the offensive line is obviously the area where you're like, OK, you know, this is obviously lacking a, a little bit. Um, you know, you've got Derrick Henry. They went out. They tried to get DeAndre Hopkins to help out that receiver room. You know, they made the switch from Tannehill uh, onto Will Levis to kind of, you know, look and move forward. Obviously, Malik Willis hasn't really worked out in terms of what Mike Vrabel is doing. So maybe that's also part of, you know, you want some continuity between what your GM is doing and what your head coach is doing. Why are we drafting this guy if, you know, your head coach isn't really going to kind of trust him? And sometimes that's things you find out later. You know, you see the tool set in Willis and you're like, oh, well, let's just make it work and figure it out. But, um, you know, if it's, it's not working out with what your head coach is looking to do, um, you know, that's obviously where that disconnect can come from. I think, though, overall with the Titans, uh, I don't necessarily think that Vrabel is the big issue. Issue, you know sometimes you can look and say oh is there like penalties are we just you know not you know figuring things out in terms of our you know offensive and defensive coordinators a lot going on but it obviously comes down to the gm you know he's in charge of uh, of putting guys out there that can have success and i don't think this roster is good enough to where you're like oh this team should absolutely be one of the top teams in the nfl and competing in you know a strong afc this year it's a bad division that they're in you know we've seen the texans kind of take advantage of that um and you know put themselves in some kind of a contention. um you know to make the playoffs where uh, the Titans have kind of fall back uh, a little bit, you know, this season. So uh, I think the offensive line is obviously, you know, the the major issue that I look at and defensively, um, you know, I just don't think you have enough playmakers. Jeffrey Simmons has obviously been good in his career. Maybe necessarily hasn't been as great as he's been in the past, but I just don't see a ton of defensive playmakers that you can really kind of rely on consistently. Obviously, they traded Kevin Byard uh, to the Eagles earlier this year and kind of a sell move. So um, yeah, I, I think I primarily look at the roster for the Titans and say, okay, that's probably where our issue lies, uh more so than Vrabel, who's proven, you know, he's been a successful head coach when uh, even his rosters have been good. And I think specifically when he's had a good offensive line, you think about Taylor lawan and some of the physical offensive line they've had behind Derrick Henry. So um I think that, you know, that primarily is what I look at when I see the Titans this year. Why are they struggling? Um I think that it kind of comes down to the fact that they just don't have enough playmakers um you know on the defensive side of the ball and that O line isn't giving them much of a chance, especially when you factor in that now they've got a rookie quarterback with Will Levis trying to make things happen.
0: Yeah, I personally would have been very upset watching Trevor Lawrence, who's having a, a pretty piss poor year, go out there and absolutely torch their defense. Uh four touchdowns for him last week. Um very, very sad. But just in general, it is weird to see uh how the Titans have developed. Obviously, Will Evans at quarterback, but Derrick Henry at running back, is this this is not a future thing, probably. This is a um I'm assuming that Derrick Henry will not be there long term past here. Um it, you kind of gotta think that they're they're going into a really like rebuild esque situation even at this point. Obviously, it's a really good year to be doing that. Maybe the Titans end up in a spot where they're getting in a semi elite player at the very worst with their draft pick. I I don't think you can really say. You know, I don't I don't want to say anybody going to bust or anything, but in the sixth spot, you have to get a, an instant playmaker, somebody who's really going to help you. Uh, I think they're lined up at number six could end up even higher. Um, if the Titans ended up with like a Marvin Harrison Jr type player to go with Will Levis, you'd be sitting here going in the next year, like, okay, like maybe we're in a good spot. It will be really interesting to see what the Titans do. I personally think, you know, it's more circumstantial, more every situation has, you know, either a good GM, bad coach, bad GM, good coach. Uh, it's really hard to figure that out when the team is not gelling uh, just in general. But yeah, um, I I feel very bad for Titans fans out there because you were grown, you've grown accustomed to competitive teams. This year has been, it it's been really hard, honestly, just like from an outward perspective. If I was a Titans fan, I'd be very sad right now. It'd be it'd be really hard to watch the team go out every week, especially if you're just like I g you would say the Titans came in this year with aspirations for the playoffs, right? Like I, I think I would have put them in a wild card esque spot, uh, competing for that. And it's it's really hard to watch your team absolutely flounder week in, week out. So, you know, obviously Trey, we feel for you. RK, you feel for Trey, right? Like we're 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 feeling bad for for Titans fans everywhere.
1: Yeah, they're definitely not having a fun time. And I think if there was an area, you know, that you could look at and say, oh, maybe verable could kind of step up or the coaching staff with your development. I think Traylon Burks is definitely the guy for me. And I know he's been banged up and had some injuries, but I mean, this was a first round pick. This was the guy you traded AJ Brown away for and drafted with that pick. Um, and he just simply has not gotten it done. And I really thought he was a good receiver at Ole Miss. So maybe you look at it, So, okay, we went out, we got DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe we want to use this guy in the slot a little bit more. And I haven't necessarily seen a ton of creativity for them out of that. And like I said, I know injuries have played apart uh, in Burks' development so far, but I was expecting him to have kind of a breakout year two, um, you know, a little bit more of an opportunity, gets to know everybody a little bit more, you know, starts the year with Tannehill, have that continuity and whatnot, but um, really just has not uh, has not been there so far in what I've seen out of Burks. Um, you know, obviously a, a first-round pick, that's kind of another side of it, where it's like, okay, I think the GM picked a good player here, why is he not, you know, being an impact player for us on Sundays? So um, good, definitely goes both ways, and it is definitely a good decision or conversation uh, that Trey brings up here, but um, I think we- It really just kind of boils down to the fact that um, they just don't have a a defense at this point in time. And and the O-line isn't giving uh, much of a chance for, um, you know, Derrick Henry or uh, Will Levis to kind of make things happen week to week.
0: You know, very fair. Obviously, it is probably a W that Tannehill is in the rearview mirror at this point. I would say if there's anything that you can look at and be like, okay, maybe I'm happy about. uh, They are in the transition period to the next the next phase of their uh, of their competitiveness other contention so that'll be ideal there. Uh, we have some other questions RK we have a couple of rapid fire questions from our friend Eric Jensen. Uh his first one is college football related. He says amidst a pointless season for Utah, Miami and o- and Iowa our three favorite teams, what are three things that actually matter going into rivalry week? RK you got anything that matters for the casual um the, the non competitive football fan like what should we be looking forward to in this upcoming week or upcoming weeks even?
1: Yeah, no doubt the uh, the game that you want to watch is the game Ohio State and Michigan, obviously on Saturday. Uh, number two against number three, winner goes to the Big Ten title game and likely goes to the College Football Playoff. Loser has a very good chance of you know going home and uh, probably playing in a meaningless bowl game. So high stakes on the line, one of the best rivalries in all of sports, let alone college football. Um, if you haven't tuned into anything football related, I don't know how you found this podcast, but uh, you should definitely find uh, the Ohio State Michigan game uh, on your TV on Saturday. Saturday uh, coming up Uh, outside of that civil war should be really good. Oregon state and Oregon uh, in the past, this has been a really lopsided game and point spread would tell you that it projects to be that way again this year with the game in Eugene uh, with Oregon being the home team, but um, that definitely should be an interesting matchup in the pac 12. Um, We saw what Oregon state was able to do coming up just short against Washington. um, So we'll see if that's any different on Friday night. Uh, And then the last one for me, uh, not necessarily a great game. Mississippi state just fired their head coach, but I think the egg bowl is always a really fun one on uh, on Thanksgiving night um, they always just try to play these kind of wacky games uh, you know you hear the cowbells at Mississippi State uh, even in a year where they're just five and six you know trying to fight get that bowl eligibility that's a big deal for some teams trying to get that sixth win and uh, Mississippi State as mentioned you know new head coach uh, a lot of those players are going to be giving it all they got you know circling Ole Miss you know nine and two on the season um, they've had their ups and downs their offense can be really dynamic but they've also been shut down at different times this year when uh, you know they've played up in competition so uh, I think that's always a fun one you know you kind of have that on in the background uh, while the other NFL games going on, on Thanksgiving night. But uh, the egg bowl is always kind of a fun one for me to kind of have one eyeball on, uh, on Thanksgiving day as well.
0: Yeah. I think you're spot on there. Obviously the fun matchups of the week. If I was going to add anything to that, I would say just the Heisman race is, is really interesting. Yeah, to a point where I wouldn't have necessarily been anticipating Jaden Daniels ever being the favorite uh, in betting odds. But Jaden Daniels is currently the favorite at minus 120. Bo Nix right behind at 140. Michael Penix at plus 650. It's really interesting to see how this has as kind of uh, developed here because there were weeks in the season where you're thinking, okay, so Caleb Williams has it locked up. And then at some point in the, in the year, you were thinking, okay, Michael Penix very, very easily the top foreign head. And even there were points where like, Marvin Harrison Jr. felt like he was a very, very fair shout for Heisman. Uh, if you're just a casual fan, you're looking to enjoy football, watching the three quarterbacks in Daniels, Nick's and Michael Penix, I think that's like the most exciting part for me at this point as a Miami fan who doesn't give, really give a shit about anything that's going to happen. I just want to watch good football. But I'm, I'm really intrigued to see just in general how the Heisman candidates uh, perform this week. Like, Jane Daniels is getting NFL first-round pick cred now at this point like people are talking him up as a, a, a end of the first round high second round quarterback who could potentially come into a, a quarterbacking job where he's like the starting nfl quarterback for a, a team next year which is maybe not something that i would have anticipated i'm not sure how you necessarily feel about that being the lsu fan but i, I don't there was nobody talking about this at all jay daniels was not a heisman candidate or, or an nfl first round draft pick candidate um in anybody's eyes and now all of a sudden like even on a not-college-football-playoff-level not team, Jaden Daniels is the Heisman favorite.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I think if you look at the stats, that's probably why he's in that mix. Um, you know, typically you don't see quarterbacks with teams with multiple losses kind of in that mix too. But um, I think, I guess in terms of like his NFL future, um, you know, I think there's a chance, like, I like him more than Dorian Thompson Robinson who found himself in just a backup role and all of a sudden is now starting due to an injury. I think maybe there's some more teams that are uh, maybe going to look to invest a little bit in quarterback depth, seeing how things have unfolded a little bit this year. And because of that, I think Jaden Daniels could definitely step into a role where um, you know, he's maybe ready to be an NFL quarterback next season. Obviously he's had a lot of experience in college started at Arizona state, went over to LSU two years at LSU in the sec. Um, you know, you, you figure that there may be some transferable things. You like the mobility and the arm strength. So there's some raw things to like with Jaden Daniels. Um, you know, I'm still not necessarily sold that I'm putting him in the first round conversation or um, at least in like the first half of the first round, uh, maybe he's worth kind of a flyer and a shout. I, I like what Daniels can do in a nutshell, but I just kind of worry that consistency down to down basis, if you kind of get, at that uh in terms of relying him to be your week one starting quarterback maybe not what i would recommend there for daniels but um yeah it's been a really fun season for him he's got some good receivers out there with malik neighbors and um so uh it's been uh, it's been fun to watch and uh nice to see that you know lsu quarterbacks not necessarily the uh biggest uh pool out there of success in in past history but uh the transfer daniels has looked really good so far this season and, and certainly is right in that mix for the heisman
0: You know, As a fan of a bad NFL team, watching the top prospects is something that has grown on me uh, year in, year out. It's something that happens every year for me at this point, which is very sad to say. Um, We did have a couple other Eric questions. He's kind of bouncing around. We'll get into hockey now. Uh, He's asking for just a random NHL check-in on the Penguins, Predators, and Rangers. I guess I'll give him the Rangers check-in. Really, really strong start to November. Uh, lost a game to Minnesota in overtime that they should have probably won, which was their only blemish before losing to Dallas last night. Uh, Dallas came back, scored five goals in the third period to beat them. Uh, Rangers had an 11-game point streak coming to that game, so fairly impressive, I would say, in that regard. Uh, but just in general, uh, we did see a, a loss out of the Rangers. But nonetheless, I would say that they are near the top, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference to start off the year. Obviously, the Boston Bruins uh, can't really can't really talk about hockey without talking about the Boston Bruins only one regulation loss through 17 games uh, but that's my check in on the rangers um any any thoughts before we move on to to the lesser teams here rk
1: yeah, I mean, the Rangers have been really good. They've kind of relied on a lot of their top guys overall. Uh, another, you know, strong power play they have, and um, they've looked really good. They're, they they're definitely, um, you know, should be in a, at least one of those top three spots in the Metro. I think things have kind of, you know, maybe been a little surprising in that division this year when you look at the Flyers and Capitals kind of right behind them in, in those standings. But um, yeah, Rangers have been really good. They've got really good goaltending. I think they're going to continue to have a lot of success throughout the regular season here.
0: You know, if we were tier ranking these teams, the next team I would talk about would be the Pittsburgh Penguins because I believe that they're better than the Predators. It's really not hard to uh to argue that, but uh, it's been a it's been a bad start, I would say, for the Pittsburgh Penguins in terms of what you would have considered. Uh, they did dominate the West Coast trip. They beat San Jose, Anaheim, and Los Angeles uh, on their West Coast trip, which is always, I guess, a a a small sign of, of positivity there because those are tough games to win, uh, but a really, really bad October start the season for them. Uh, losses to New Jersey and Carolina this last week, not ideal. They did beat Vegas, but uh, losing to the teams ahead of you, teams that you will be competing with for a playoff spot throughout the year, not ideal. I personally would call the Pittsburgh Penguins underwhelming. Like uh, uh, They seem more mediocre than they should be with all the star power there. Uh, do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think underwhelming probably in terms of their depth and, and maybe their defensive side as well. I think the top end, they can score. You know, Crosby's line is going to score. You know, Malkin's line is going to score. And obviously, Eric Carlson contributes positively to the offensive side of the game. But I think it's really on the other side that, um, you know, there are some questions uh, as it relates to them. Um, you know, Tristan Yari and that, you know, he's all right. He's, he's he's good, but I don't think necessarily, he you know, would carry them too far. Uh, I know, obviously, they got off to a really tough start and um, they've been able to score a good amount of goals. But I think D defensively and in terms of their bottom six uh forwards um that's where i'm you know a little bit not so sold on the penguins but i think they're gonna be in that mix uh for the wild card maybe you know that third spot in the metro potentially but um yeah i I don't i don't necessarily think that this team is going to be kind of running through everybody um just in terms of the long term sustainability an older group uh and it's mostly kind of relying on the guys that have done it before with crosby and malkin at the top two centers
0: yeah, I think that's about as spot on as you can get, about as, as realistic as you can get. Uh, finally, he asked about the Predators. Uh, Predators coming off a victory against his Colorado Avalanche last night, um, a, a close game. Obviously, they blew the Avalanche blew the game in the final minute, gave up two goals and 16 seconds in the final minute of the game to give up a 3-2 lead. Ended up losing 4-3. Uh, my thought process on the Nashville Predators, the new look Nashville Predators, Barry Trotz uh, at the helm, not great. Not great. Really a team that you would have maybe anticipated after spending a lot of money in the offseason, signing a lot of different guys. Ryan O'Reilly has been pretty good. Uh, You would have anticipated maybe this Nashville team like being a step better than where they were last year. Uh, But it turns out that it's not the case. They had a really, really tough stretch to start off November, lost five of their first six in November, including games to teams like Arizona and Anaheim, Calgary, teams that you have to beat to be in, in the, the race here, um, teams that are probably not super competitive long-term for you, albeit maybe Calgary is that one team that does something of that group. But uh, just in general, I think you you probably have a strong thought on the National Predators, but I, I think this is a National Predators year, a very mediocre, n- not as great as I would have anticipated, and it does seem like maybe this is a team that could potentially be a seller at the deadline rather than a team that you I would have anticipated them being not only competitive um, but definitely a central spot was was in the, the books for them, I thought, or at least very close to that, maybe a wild card spot. I would have thought this was a team buying at the deadlines for sure. At this point, it kind of seems like Nashville is further off than they were last year, which is crazy to say.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm pretty much there with you. I think they really just relied on that top line. You know, I don't even think they have necessarily a great second line. After you look at O'Reilly and Forsberg uh, on the you know top line that they send out there. Um, you know, if they were sellers, you know who would they maybe look to sell off? Maybe Tyson Berry, for example. I think there's usually teams that are like, ah, sure, we'll take a guy with some offensive upside on the back end at some point. You might be able to sneak out a second rounder there um, if that is the direction they end up going. Um, you know, obviously we know they ride Jose Saros pretty heavily. He still got two years left on his deal. So I think he's pretty much still kind of set on being in Nashville uh, in terms of their long-term thinking, uh, even though I think that Decor needs some help to kind of support him a little bit more um, than what we've been getting from him uh, so far. Maybe they're trying to transition a little bit. We do see some younger guys out there uh, for them this year uh, on some ELCs like Tomasino, Parsonen, for example. But uh, I'm not necessarily sold that these guys are going to be kind of leading the way in the future of the Predators and and being big-time contributors. So um, yeah, I I think transition-type year is a fair way to put it um because I don't think relying on Forsberg and O'Reilly all year is going to be good enough to get him into the playoffs
0: yeah I think that's about as spot on as you get you can't re- really be any more honest than that one and it is it is interesting to hear that just in general because as I said like I really anticipated the Predators being better than, than they are um mm-hmm. so I, maybe I'm a little bit surprised by that still uh, a couple other questions from Eric he's asking about your I guess your sport, college hockey. How can you get into college hockey? Where can you watch? And who should I watch? I just wanted to mention real quick, if you are looking for a team to watch, a uh, shameless, shameless promo, Boston College, Gabe Perot, really, really excited about him. Really excited about his future. He um, should be on the, on the Rangers in a couple of years. We're thinking maybe next year, even, um, every, every, everything I see, every highlight video I see out of him is just this absolutely insane. Like he's doing crazy stuff, but uh, RK, obviously we've got other, other teams to follow. Uh, how can you get into it? Where can he watch it? Who should he be watching?
1: Yeah, for sure. BC is definitely a good shout. I know ESPN plus tends to have uh, a lot of these games, which is obviously really nice. Uh, maybe if you're looking more big 10, sometimes Fox, uh, you need to go over there with big 10 network um, and things like that. I know Wisconsin has looked really good at points this year. Michigan always is good. Michigan state. Uh, Has been pretty good this year. It's just kind of a deep conference in the Big Ten: Minnesota, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, also you know other strong teams uh, in that conference. But um, it is pretty diverse. Uh, You know, you look at last year's defending champs, Quinnipiac. They're also very good again this year. ECAC, um, you know, action for for them. Uh, And then one of the teams that I've really liked watching this year, Boston University, um, really led by Macklin Celebrini, their freshman and you know projected top overall pick uh, in the NHL draft this upcoming year. Always fun to see you know kind of the next up-and-coming stars especially in the college hockey space you know we don't always get a you know 17 year old that's already in college and that's the case with celebrini and he's been absolutely killing it so BU has been really fun to watch for me uh this year they still got lane hudson over there um, before he makes that jump up uh you know eventually to the nhl with the canadians so um i think that there's a lot of excitement around college hockey this year uh and yeah espn plus is is kind of the uh the go-to spot um if you're looking to to get into college hockey outside of the big 10 um which i mentioned is uh, is one of the deep conferences in college hockey this season so far
0: yeah you know I will mention ESPN plus is an unbelievable tool if you did want to watch Colgate women's hockey as well because college hockey it also it spreads over to women's too the Colgate women's hockey team is on ESPN plus almost every game which is unbelievable I'll say this last year I probably tuned into 15 Colgate women's hockey games and it's actually a lot of fun to watch women's hockey it's a little bit different it's a totally different sport than what you would have anticipated given the lack of physicality but the Colgate women's hockey team is a lot of fun. Like I actually enjoy women's hockey quite a lot. And I think it's a, it's a really impressive, uh, really impressive feat to see what some of these like, unbelievable moves. like we saw last year, there were a couple crazy goals that Colgate women's hockey scored. Like RK was even amazed by it. So if RK is fired up by these things, like he sees the, he sees them play every day in practice. He sees like, if, if RK is getting fired up, I'm getting fired up. I will say women's college hockey. If you get the chance, RK, if you get the chance, Eric RK's team Colgate, Watch the Colgate women's hockey team. Where are they right now in the rankings, RK? Where are we feeling?
1: Uh, just moved up to number two after uh, Ohio State knocked oh, off Wisconsin. Number two, uh, baby. For so, yeah, they've they, uh, been looking really good so far this year got to keep it going, but uh, yeah, a lot of excitement, a lot of skill out there, you know, really strong puck possession team. Uh, you know, you said it's more of a skill game uh, and we've got a couple of good, really good goalies as well. So um, yeah, looking to keep it up and uh, we got Ohio state still ahead of us team. We played earlier this season split with them uh, at Colgate to start our season. So um, hopefully uh, things can kind of keep rolling, but yeah, it is nice. Uh, you know, just ESPN plus put them on. Uh usually play Fridays at six Eastern and uh, Saturdays at three Eastern is kind of the uh, typical mold for when we have games out there. So um, Uh, definitely check it out. College Hockey, it's a good space. Uh, Men and Women's College Hockey, it's uh, it's definitely out there and, and it's fun to watch
0: absolutely you won't find a podcast merch college hockey as much as us obviously we are half college hockey with rk working for colgate so uh, i'm very pro college hockey at this point i would definitely say uh, take a look get into it even if you're just casually just scrolling through looking for someone to watch college hockey is a really good really good product so uh, i would say definitely a w there Uh, eric has some football questions for us let's go really quickly here he's asking for an under the radar nfl skill position player who has emerged as a key contributor this year Uh, he guided this directly at you rk so is there anybody on your mind that has been like overwhelming? exciting this year or, or nothing that really comes to, comes to mind?
1: Honestly, nothing, nothing like big time, big time jumps out, uh, on that front for me. Uh, What's on your mind there, Donnie?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this. I don't know. The only real issue with this is, like, finding somebody that's that's popped off out of nowhere, uh, somebody that I would wouldn't have anticipated being there. It, it's somebody that maybe I wouldn't have even thought, like, was going to have a big role, but I'm going to call Devin Singletary my one player that has kind of gone under the radar. Uh, somebody who was pretty much entirely thrown out of his previous position. Uh, Damian Pierce, it felt like he was going to be the only guy getting carries. Uh, if you're a fantasy, fantasy football player, um, the hype on Damian Pierce coming to the year was... Ah, it, ridiculous! Incredible! Insane! He was going very high in fantasy drafts, but Devin Singletary has been unbelievably good. It feels like, um, really, I, I would call that an under the radar player just in general. Um, somebody I wouldn't wouldn't have anticipated being um, as good as he was. Uh, I don't really have anything else for you there on that end. I would say it's mostly just like, it feels like it's a rookie would be a rookie receiver, probably somebody that came out of nowhere. I think maybe Puka Nakua would be the under the radar guy coming to the year that has really emerged as a key contributor for the Rams. Um, That was my initial answer, but I don't, I don't know how fair that is to say because it is just, he's brand new to the league, obviously just 22 years old. Um, But I, I don't know, like shouts to BYU. Maybe I'm giving this, that might make Eric happy, a Puka Nakua shout. Um, yeah, those were the only two that I came up with. There's not really like anybody. It's been a super huge contributor. Uh, I don't know it's been really surprising to me. So I, I'd say Devin Singletary popping off in Houston and Puka Nakua being a, a nearly elite receiver from time to time. is It's been kind of surprising to me in, in that sense, I guess.
1: Yeah, honestly, you bring up Singletary. I kind of just think of that Texans offense. You think about Nico Collins and Tank Dell as well as DeGreel. Yeah. The- CJ um, You know, the Texans, one of the biggest surprise teams in the NFL this season, I think they've definitely caught my eye, especially tank Dell over these last few weeks. And uh, I think unfortunately, you know, Devon a chain for Miami has been absolutely electric when he's been out there, but really banged up with injuries, which is too bad to see, Um, you know, that dolphins offense can be really dynamic, really fun to watch with all the speed they have. And uh a. Chan, the rookie out of Texas A&M uh, at running back has you know, really produced some fireworks, but shame. He's been injured uh, at some time. So uh, yeah, I guess we're looking at the Houston Texans as uh, these players. Boys- Players that have emerged uh in terms of singletary you know just kind of walking over from buffalo and then coming those receivers with tank dell and uh and nico collins making some noise too and noah brown too for really uh extending things out on that texans offense they've all been positive impact and, and surprises this season
0: yeah i'll throw one more in just for an audible mention because i had a couple players on the list but zach moss might be my my guy as well um maybe not as nice recently with Jonathan Taylor back. He hasn't really seen the ball as much, but earlier in the year, Zach Moss was like the best running back in the league for weeks, which is just not something I would have anticipated. We saw Zach Moss stink like, like plenty the last couple of years. So it's been interesting there uh, just in general. There, there's a couple names for you. Uh, Eric has one more question on football. We've got a couple more questions and we'll get to the curate and uh question of the week. But uh, Eric's asking once again, Broncos playoffs. I'm once again saying no. Sorry, Eric. You've got a tough schedule. The Broncos are not that good. Um, it's the Broncos. Like, who who really who really cares is the question that I want to ask you, RK. Who really cares?
1: Yeah, they're not making it.
0: Yeah, let's just call it there. Obviously, it, had they not snuck out a win against Minnesota, that question wouldn't have been on the podcast. So we'll just we'll we'll leave that. We'll give you we'll give you your your right now. Four four in a row, obviously great. You're still five and five. You're not making the playoffs. Call it a day. Uh, he's asking me uh, who's going to win the Premier League or who's going to be leading down the stretch in the Premier League. Uh, I will say I'm not happy about it, but it's probably going to be Manchester City once again. Uh, it's kind of just like a um, whoever spends the most money, whoever whoever has the best players. Um, type deal there's never any really surprising surprising teams outside of the one leicester run there you kind of sort of know what you're getting out of the premier league i would anticipate it's manchester city at the top but i will say as a liverpool fan i've been really excited to see them play football this year um english football obviously uh but liverpool has been really really surprising they brought in some some good pieces some interesting pieces that have made it a lot of fun to watch on my end Uh, obviously rk has no idea what i'm talking about here uh so we'll just we'll call it a day there obviously rk knows man city carries every year man city's crazy that's all we talk about it in soccer related and i mean honestly the premier league is tough it just is what it is uh finally we have a question that you can answer rk and he's asking in our text group chat who wins a snowball fight i'm gonna take the first answer here because i have an answer it's steve it's steve he's massive he's athletic he I, I, w- I would be very afraid uh going up against steve in a snowball fight give him 20 20 snowballs against my 20 snowballs i'm i'm not winning that fight probably i'm gonna get cooked
1: yeah, Steve also is high on my list, and I also got to give Josh uh, a shout. Josh, on here. Of course, of course. I, I just think he's so crafty. You know, he's just thought about these situations before. He's like, "Oh, if I was in a snowball fight with twenty teenagers and three cheetahs, here's how I would attack the situation." Like, I know Josh would would come up with a plan. So, Josh and Steve are if we had like a fantasy draft, like we're we're on the on the sidewalk and we're drafting teams. Like Josh and Steve are first off the board for sure. Yeah,
0: I was thinking that. Obviously, I wanted to give a a you know. A, Eric, you have no chance. That's all I wanted to say. If you're asking this, hoping that we're going to give you some props. Eric, you're the, you're the bottom of the list, unfortunately. Um, It's tough. We have our friend Travis. I think Travis would be good. Obviously, he's out there posting pictures of him shooting the basketball in the summer. He's, he's athletic. He's, a, he's in shape. I'm not winning that. RK, let's be honest. You're probably not winning that. Neither of us are, are a top competitor in this in this battle here. Uh, I think uh, Josh versus Steve and then the top two. It seems like it makes perfect sense to me. I like that shout.
1: Yeah, I we need more snowball fights. We need to normalize uh, snowball fights just as a part of friend groups. Like this should just be a thing that happens. Like uh, every every year, you have like an annual snowball fight, and you just fight it out until you're just out. You're just cold. You're sad. You're miserable. You're ready for some hot chocolate. You call it quits. But yeah, I mean, uh, good good question from Eric on there. But yeah, I'm I'm not picking you, Mister Jensen, on my on my snowball fight team first overall, unfortunately.
0: You know, Eric's looking for some recognition. He's not getting it out of us, whether it's Broncos or it's a snowball fight. It's not getting anything. Uh, we have one question. It's Kira and Phil. RK, okay, I'm giving it to you.
1: Let's hit it. Designated spot for my sister Kira and her boyfriend Phil for the end of the podcast, folks, before we wrap up today's podcast. And the question is timely question for us with Thanksgiving week coming up. If we could replace a Thanksgiving food staple with something else, which food would you take out? And what would you substitute it with? I'm going to actually take this one first, Donnie. And I'm getting rid of pumpkin pie. I just have had enough of pumpkin pie. All right. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I get it. It's fall. All right. Everyone's excited about pumpkin pie. Not my not my thing. I get it Why, why it's at the table, but I'm never cutting a piece for myself. So I'm going to be, again, boring, not a huge dessert guy. And I'm just going to throw out cheesecake. I used to have that when I was younger. My aunt, she made a great cheesecake. You know, we don't always see her now on Thanksgiving. I'll be away this year for, uh, for hockey purposes. So throw some cheesecake on there. I don't care that it is not really with the theme, with the brand of Thanksgiving. I just want to enjoy a meal and food and a good dessert. And I'm not having pumpkin pie, but I would have cheesecake. So I'm confident in my answer, even if everybody else hates me for it and disagrees. Give me cheesecake over pumpkin pie.
0: Yeah, you know, taking the taking the pumpkin pie away from the the spread when there's so many other things that are just mediocre and and not 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 interested in it's really it's really a choice. I'm causing um, issues and I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, you're pissing off the pumpkin pie fans of the world here. Uh, I was thinking, uh, I don't, I don't know if you call it a staple necessarily, but there's always a green bean casserole or something along those lines that that pops up at a Thanksgiving dinner for me. I don't know how it happens. Can we? Get, I was thinking we get rid of that and so italian people at thanksgiving uh, heavy italian people they have a lot of pasta at thanksgiving if we traded out the green bean casserole for any type of pasta dish um i'm 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 in for that i think if you're going to if you're going to eat thanksgiving dinner you got to carb load you're you're just eating until you're full it's the one day where you shouldn't feel bad about anything you're eating if you gave me some turkey and you gave me some potatoes and you gave me some pasta and you gave me some rolls how could you be mad about that how could you be angry about add some stuffing on there like I'm going to have 600, 600, 800 grams of carbs. I'm going to be, I'm going to be bloated for the next three days. But like you throw a nice pasta dish on the table instead of the, the disgusting green bean mess that green bean casserole is for me. I'm let me, t- I'll be the happiest person on the earth. I think honestly, like pasta, Thanksgiving food, make it happen. Why not?
1: Now, what could that potentially include mac and cheese or is that not? pasta? Oh, Sure. Sure. Totally fine. Okay. with that. I just think, I think noodles in
0: general feel like, it feels like it's a nice addition to whatever Thanksgiving dinner is because I feel like a mac and cheese would be great because I think Thanksgiving dinner may be a, a little bit dry from time to time but you add some gravy on the turkey to make it work and everything I think mac and cheese would be like the perfect side I do people do mac and cheese at Thanksgiving I think as well I think that's like a semi-common thing uh, we personally don't my family personally does not but any type of pasta dish I'm good with it I think it just It just hits. I feel like it just works. The the if you're adding carbs to carbs, just like keep adding carbs. That's all the Thanksgiving dinner is anyway. Have at it. Have fun. Enjoy yourself.
1: If we're going all in, we're going all in, you know. You gotta just send it yeah i and i mean mac and cheese you could
0: put mac and cheese with anything too so i feel like that's like a perfect little example obviously your friend um we've got a couple friends that would enjoy that azuts obviously would really enjoy the mac and cheese at at dinner but i think you 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 also you're a big mac and cheese you're a mac and cheese fiend from time to time so um i think that's a good shout i think we, we could get behind that so if if rk and i are ever at your thanksgiving dinner no green bean casserole no no pumpkin pie he wants cheesecake i want any type of pasta maybe some mac and cheese that's our answer um it's, it seems good to me. Like, I don't know. Can you argue about a cheesecake? When, no pumpkin pie, but you have a cheesecake on the table. Are you mad about that? I'm not mad about that. I'm just, I'm happy
1: with it. I mean, I think it's innovative. If you look and dig back at the history of Thanksgiving, you know, not the greatest thing in the world. Really not. We did some bad things to some people that had the land before us. And we just kind of move on and celebrate it and pretend we're all pilgrims for a day. So maybe we should update the times a little bit. You know, maybe just thought. Maybe let's update the food selections to maybe more food we want to eat instead of just, oh, it's tradition. This is what we eat. This is what we do. Uh, Maybe we should update things a little bit. You know, maybe woke community, maybe cancel culture, maybe Thanksgiving's next. How about that?
0: I didn't anticipate getting a a feeling bad for the Native Americans on this podcast but it's it's popped up obviously we do we feel horrible about what happened to the Native Americans so I just want to get out in front of that um it shouldn't have happened disgusting disgusting behavior from from the the, the settlers back in the day um maybe maybe we do Welcome want to, to get America yeah maybe we do want to get away from that maybe RK brings up a valid point here that personally what I'm just, thinking about we just
1: won't think about it and we'll watch football and we'll move on and we'll do it all again next well that,
0: that's that's normally how it goes though RK. that's normally how it goes I don't I don't yeah. ever think about the the plights of the Native Americans back three four five whatever however many years ago I don't ever I don't ever consider that when I'm eating Thanksgiving dinner so maybe this year i'm gonna there's gonna be a little bit a little bit of guilt whenever I eat my Thanksgiving dinner I'm gonna feel <laughs> sad I'm gonna you you've made me guilty for eating my mashed potatoes so thanks RK
1: you're going to get sick from your dinner and then all your family. Will be like, oh, was it, was my food? Was it, was it not cooked right? I was like, no, I was just thinking about our past history. And it was disgusting. <laughs> oh,
0: I was I was sickened by Christopher Columbus and his behavior. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting, disgusting, horrible, horrible. Yeah. I didn't, it's I didn't okay. we'll just watch the
1: lions and the Cowboys and I'll smile and hold hands and move on.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the new tradition, obviously the old tradition, you know, we we're we're happy with football i don't need I don't need to feel, feel guilty about what happened. I didn't do it. it wasn't me so um it wasn't me definitely thanksgiving food staples uh i'll eat i i mean like i'll i'll eat i'll eat a cheesecake I'm good with it RK. I'm not mad at your answer some people i know some people will be mad at your answer. My mom right. would be mad at your answer just keep that in mind my my mom big big pumpkin pie um you you you'd be you'd be pissing some people off there but i I respect it i really do.
1: I mean, hey, I've made people mad before, but I just look at it. It's like, I'm making an impact. You can be, I'm not, I don't need to be the most loved man. It might not be a
0: positive impact, but he's making an impact.
1: I'm doing something out here. I'm being myself and I'm eating the cheesecake from my aunt who made the best cheesecake. Shout out to Aunt Sandy, legendary cheesecake of the game. Like nobody will ever touch that cheesecake, no doubt
0: yeah big shout out to talent to sandy obviously just a legend a legend in these streets uh r k We've been going for an hour and a half here. I think it's about time to call it a day uh would you like to say anything to any specific people uh specific musicians anything out there you got
1: yeah obviously yeah, happy thanksgiving to check West. He's, a, he's allowed to celebrate the holiday despite the past history of the holiday this year. He can eat whatever he wants on his dinner plate, maybe some pasta, maybe some cheesecake. But he's coming on the podcast next week to chat about it, recap it all with you guys, and also talk about Ohio State-Michigan, fired up for that as well, uh, and some big Eagles games coming up. Michigan. They got the Buffalo Bills this week. So a lot of things to be thankful for and excited about in the next week. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and making it all the way through, no matter when you tuned in. Appreciate you guys for making Rody and the Horn part of your day today. And I hope that the rest of your day is filled with as much joy as we hope to bring you on this show today. Thanks again, everybody. Take care. Happy holidays. And we'll see you all again next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This